Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. so grateful to have you. Amen. See Tammy out there. You get to see her. Michael. Amen. Is that right? Am I getting that right? And, Mel- and Melissa? No? Jamie. Man. That's 50%. That's, that's 50%. Well, actually, if you count Tammy in there, that's 66%. So I apologize. Amen. So glad to have you both with us today. Amen. Good to have Kevin. Amen. Here. Good to see you this morning. Amen. Jen and the Adams family, they even brought the elder among them. They brought Maddie today. And so we're just so glad. So glad in the house of the Lord. Paul and Dale, amen, with us this morning. Glad to have them. Amen in the house of the Lord. Uh, The kids sung Tell Me the Story Again. So we're going to go back to the story. Luke chapter number two today. Luke chapter number two go back to the story, amen, of the birth of the Lord, amen, today I'm going to act like nobody's here except those that have never maybe been here on Christmas, the Sunday before Christmas, amen, and I want to speak, amen, to those that may be guests with us today, amen, in the house of the Lord, to us all, but I just particularly want to speak to uh, our guests and those this morning, in the house of the Lord, Luke chapter number two, I want to start reading with verse number seven, and read through. I'm going to have a little lengthy reading, maybe more so than normal. Read through. Uh, Revela- no, I'm joking. Verse number 16. <laughs> Amen. Just seeing if you're still with me. Uh, Luke 2, verse 7. I'm going to try to end around verse 16. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem. And see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. You can only uh, tell the Christmas story so many ways. But today I want to talk to us again about it, how a baby changes everything. How a baby changes everything. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you today. I pray, O oh Lord, today, O oh God, within the lives of those, God, that are here. 
God, I pray, Jesus, and we're in, Lord God, this wonderful season. God, of remembrance and contemplation, Lord God, of a birth of a child, Lord, into the world. God, that totally changed the dynamics, Lord, even of, God, the timeline of humanity. I pray, O oh Lord, today, God, let that same interjection, Lord, of life, God, within the lives of your people today, God, alter, Lord Jesus, God, them, and change them and renew them. I pray, O oh God, that you're able to help us, God, in this endeavor, Lord, today. God, minister, Lord Jesus, God, to each and every individual, but God, particularly to our guests this morning. God, we'll thank you for it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ. I pray. Amen and amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. The year was 1944. It was in the month of December. It marked a 40-day sail for American troops from their homeland to the notorious island of Iwajima, an island of black sand measuring five and a half miles long and two miles wide. Time magazine made this very clear that no battle of World War II, amen, it declared not even Normandy was watched with more intensity by the U.S. people than this battle. It had become the most heavily covered written about battle of World War II. This would be the only battle in the Pacific where the invaders suffered higher casualties than the defenders. The Marines fought in World War II for 40 Three months. Yet in one month on Iwa Jima, one third of their total deaths occurred there. This photograph I have for you this morning, the photograph that I gave to you today, is an emblem most associated with this battle. Most of you have seen it, have recognized it, know of its uh, place in our history. It is an icon of a period of history of time past. During that era, Representative Mike Mansfield of Montana, a future ambassador to Japan, called for the flag rising, raising image to be adopted as a symbol of that tour of World War II. On the day two, the day two of the flag raisers uh, died in battle. There were two flag of the six rather flag raisers that were died in battle. Congressman Joseph Hendricks of Florida stood on the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives to introduce a bill authorizing that the erection of a monument would be made to these six individuals. It would be a tribute to the heroic action of the Marine Corps as typified by the Marines in the photograph, again, that is before you. He says, I have provided in the bill that this picture be a model for the monument because I do not believe any product of the mind of the artist could equal this photograph in action. Never have I seen a more striking photograph Today, even if you were to go there outside the walls of Arlington National Cemetery in Arlington, Virginia, you can visit this monument, which uh, at the time that it was built was the world's tallest bronze monument. Even so, uh, this photograph became the most reproduced photographic image in the history of the world at its time. It was a model for, of that immense monument that had been built. The reverence for this photograph was far-reaching. An all-encompassing, an Iowa Jima commemorative stamp was issued on July the 11th, the anniversary of the founding of the Marie Corps Reserve. It was the first stamp to feature living people. Even presidents, it would seem, had to die to get their image on the stamp, but not these six individuals. A common misconception even today uh, is that 
This photograph is the first flag rising on Iowa Jima atop Mount Shirabachi. The fact is, is that this raising of the flag is a raising of the second flag on Iowa Jima. The flag was 96 by 56 inches. It was a good deal larger than the original flag that was planted on that mountain. That second flag had been found in the salvage yard there at Pearl Harbor. It was rescued from a sinking ship on that day that history says will live in infamy. The photograph was taken by an Associated Press photographer, Joe Rosenthal. He had missed the raising of the first flag on that mountain only because uh, he had not quite gotten there. And it was only chance that allowed him to capture the raising of the second flag on this mountain. He had his shutter speed set to one four hundredth of a second. There was only about four seconds of fluid motion from the time it laid on the ground and came, amen, into a full erect stance, almost as you see before you, the replacement flag. That flag had been attached to an old scrap piece of metal, just a scrap piece of pipe. Rosenthal didn't even, history says, have a chance to bring the viewfinder of his camera up before his eye to catch the glimpse of what we have before us today. Yet he captured one four hundredth of a second of history that America then and now are enamored with. And the question is, why in the world? Because as one man even put it, he says, and here was an American populace driven, driving itself into a frenzy over what? An accidental photograph of a forgotten moment, of an insignificant gesture of an old pipe going up with a flag on it, Amen. And yet it was during a month that was filled with a whole lot more significant things of men's lives that were being lost. And so there are things in this life, I can tell you this morning, that we label as insignificant. But because of some attachment, because of some association to something else that is significant, their worth and their value is heightened. By themselves, no one would think twice about them or even give them a second chance of consideration. But since they are linked to greatness, that greatness changes their status. At times, we've all jested, you know, uh, hanging around with people maybe of, 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 of a certain status in society, you know, rubbing shoulders with those type of people. Uh, they're important, and because, you know, sometimes you get around them and rub shoulders with them, it almost changes your classification. You kind of walk with your shoulders a little bit more square, and you pull up on your pants, you know, and make sure it's the right place at your waist because it brings an importance you feel as though unto you. you. You People even may view you differently whenever you rub shoulders with that type of people, the way that you are perceived in that moment moment somewhat different than the way that you may be perceived in any other moment because of the connection that you had with something significant one of those six flag raisers was a man by the name of Doc Bradley he was a corpsman of the marines he was one of the flag raisers and he said this he said you think of that pipe that old salvage piece of metal you think of that pipe if it was being put in the ground for any other reason he said there would have been no acclaim. There would have been no recognition. But because the American flag was attached to that old pipe, he said that made all the difference. Because this wasn't the first raising. This was the second raising. This was one four hundredth of a second that a photographer really accidentally got a hold of. Yet it becomes the icon for this notorious battle. 
It's been reproduced all throughout history. It was a model of the tallest bronze monument, if you will, made of it in Arlington. A stamp was produced of it first ever of those that were living and not of the dead. And it all resulted not because of its own significance, but because that old pipe was tethered to something else that was significant. And it brought significance to the whole matter. That's that. But let's look at thousands of years ago now in Bethlehem's stable. Let's consider something else that might be a little bit trivial. Let's consider consider a manger. The definition of the word manger of that day and even still yet this day, if you look down through it, is nothing more but a box or a trough in a stable or barn from which horses and cattle eat. There are 783,137 words in the King James Version of the Bible. Of those seven. 783,137 words. Only three words are there in that Bible that say manger. And they were all found in our text this morning. They appeared there in Luke chapter number 2. There, and Webster's Dictionary calls the manger a box. It calls it a trough. That box or trough or that place where animals were fed was found in the place where Jesus was born. It was by most is a thing of total insignificance. Sure, it was significant to the lambs or the sheep or the donkeys that may have ate from it, but all in all, it was totally insignificant. As a matter of fact, the manger was so unimportant and one could almost begin to believe how it was built. If you're thinking of a wooden manger, it could just take a few two-by-fours or two-by-sixes or even some two-by-twos. You can use some pallet wood to make a manger if you want to. Uh, most believe that the manger of Jesus' day was hewn out of stone, but nevertheless, what it was made out of or, or what it looked like, it's just a manger. It's just where food's going to go. It's just where hay's going to go. It's just where grain is going to go for the purpose of feeding some animals. And so we're told evidently where Christ was born there was if you will a manger you could effortlessly feed though animals even without a manger uh, whenever I worked on a hog farm years ago in my first uh, when we first got married uh, you could just let it down into a metal trough I've been in some barns you could just throw it on the floor you don't necessarily have to have a holding container for animals they just if they're hungry they're going to eat Amen. If it's on the floor within a container, it doesn't matter. The cow doesn't care, I guarantee you. The horse could care less maybe how he's getting his food as long as he's getting his food. The sheep and the donkey, they'll never tell the difference reality. For sure, a goat, uh, he doesn't care. Amen. Manger or no manger, it really wasn't all that important. But it was there the night that Jesus was born. And on that night in that place, in that location where Jesus was born, here was a immaterial, if you will, food trough a uh, 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 total not relevant if you will food trough but on that night that manger was going to be called upon for a brand new occupation a brand new purpose that unimportant piece of furniture if you will in that arena was transformed in being a place where the Christ child was laid and scripture tells us he was laid in a manger it had maybe no significance before that day didn't really have the mo- 
of much significance to the animals of that day. Amen. A little food here and there. But they didn't have to have it. But now there was something in the manger that was not grain. It was not rye. It was not straw. But it was flesh and blood of the Almighty God laying in that manger. And whenever Jesus was born in Bethlehem and laid into a manger, it transformed even the world's perception of what the purpose of a manger is. Because we fast forward today and it doesn't matter if it's summer, it doesn't matter if it's 100 degrees in the shade. When you hear the word manger, most people are not thinking about a place where food's going to feed an animal. Whenever you say manger, no matter what the season is or time of the year it is, people are starting to think about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you say manger today, they're thinking about when the angels came and declared the, the king of glory that had come down. When you talk about manger today. Amen. They're thinking about the Christ child. They never thought of a manger like that before until there was the addition of Jesus. You won't have somebody telling you, well, a manger is a feeding trough where things... No, 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 no. They will tell you that is where Jesus was laid. That's where the newborn baby, amen, was put because the baby Jesus completely changed the dynamics of a manger, the definition of a manger, the purpose of a manger. Someone say amen. amen. If, if, if not redefined, it was defined anew. Because without Christ, the manger has one definition. Without Christ, it has one purpose. But with Christ, it has a different definition. With Christ, it has a different purpose. And what a difference that makes. Amen. A simple box, a simple trough. But you add Jesus to it, and now it has prominence in the world. Now it has notoriety in the world because you add Jesus to it. Maybe Doc Bradley, when he was talking about that piece of pipe, amen, was thinking maybe if we could apply that to a manger. It's just a manger. It's just wood or it's just stone, whatever it may be. It just holds food. But if it were put there for any other reason, without Christ, it would be overlooked. It wouldn't be mentioned. But because Christ was put in the manger, it has a forefront in even our story because Jesus obeyed changes and makes a difference changes everything someone say amen the apostle Paul in the New Testament said in 2 Corinthians 4 and 7 the apostle Paul said but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us it was customary amen for there to be gold and silver Precious things that were kept in earthen jars. Jars that was made out of dirt, mud, clay almost would be formed. And then householders would place precious things as gold and silver in earthen jars. And the reason why they did this is anyone ever come into their house, if anybody would ever raid their home or come about, they would know that people would not suspect something so valuable and something so rude and uncomely of a vessel. They wouldn't expect that the price, if you will, of gold and silver being inside of an old muddy hay strewn, if you will, earthly vessel. And so they put the treasure in earthen vessels 
because they knew it would not be suspected. And yet Paul describes us, you and I, everybody say me. Paul describes us as merely those earthen vessels, as merely being those clay pots. Amen. While the gospel or the spirit that we have or the spirit you can have as the treasure. Amen. Earthen vessels, they're common. That you can find them anywhere in that culture in that day. They are cheap. They are earthen vessels because they come from the earth. Amen. They are of this world. They don't have anything to boast about in or of themselves. They are dirt. They are mud. They are clay. At best, they have no basis for feeling superior or mighty. Amen. But whenever the treasure is placed in the vessel, it's not that the vessel is given something to the treasure to make it more valuable, but it's what the vessel receives from the treasure that is making it more valuable. Someone say amen. The vessel gains the glory from the treasure. And Paul, if we are earthen vessels, we're not much to speak of. But whenever we receive the Spirit of God, when we receive the Spirit of the Lord in our lives, our lives are enriched by the treasure that's been placed on the inside of us. And we only have reason to boast because of His Spirit, of His power. Of, oh, someone say amen. Baby changes everything. He transforms the ordinary manger of feeding troughs of beasts and animals into receptacles of the highest righteousness, the Lord Jesus Christ. Talking about bringing worth to the worthless, we can't overlook per se one thing of New Testament writers, a story of the gospel that talks about a man that was blind he was blind, the Bible says, but he was made to see. We could put it in terms because of mud balls. <laughs> made by the hands of Jesus. Made by the spittle or the spit. Now this is really, I know it's really supernatural. You start talking about spit and everybody's thing. you can go on. But when you consider what happened to this blind man... In John 9 and verse 6, it says, when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground. This is speaking of Jesus. Jesus spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. So you have a blind man that cannot see. He is in a condition in his day that cannot be changed. And Jesus bends down and grabs some, some clay, as it were, dirt, dust of the road, as it were. He, 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 gra he grabs something earthly. He, he grabs something insignificant. I don't know too many people that have in a shadow box or in some little vial on their mantle. Unless it is the cremated one of a loved one. But just some dust or dirt. I never went to, you know, one of these places where they have orange clay and think, man, that's awesome. I'm just going to pick some of that up and take it home and display it at the house. You know, I've seen gray. I've seen black. You know, all the, I've never just taken dirt and said, wow, wait till Don sees this. Don't the kid, you know, imagine her and I going on a trip, coming back and giving the kids some dirt. There you go, guys. Here's what we got you for on my trip. No, I've never seen anybody just, so we have something that's very insignificant dirt that the Lord takes and then you say spit brother McGee. yes spit but this is the spit of Jesus 
honey, if they're going to make holy water and all that, well, this is the spit of Jesus. This is the spit of God robed in flesh. Anything that's connected to him is never ordinary. So we have the earthly combined with the spit of the heavenly. Huh? We had the insignificant bound with something significant, the God-man spit. (laughs) And he places it upon the eye of the blind. And he says, go wash in the pool of Shalom. And the Bible says he went and washed and he came back seen. You can just take, you could have had Paul McGee there and my spit would have done squat, I guarantee you right now. But whenever you get the the insignificant and join it with the significant. You get the heavenly and you join it with the earthly. It's going to change the whole dynamics of everything. It's going to change. Amen. The Bible says in Psalms 103 and verse 14, speaking of God, David says, or the psalmist says, for he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. Everybody say dust. He remembereth that we are dust. God remembers that whenever he created us, Amen. He created us of the dust of the earth. Go all the way back to Genesis and see if it's not true. He created us of the dust of the earth. He didn't create us from the dirt. It didn't say dirt in Genesis. It doesn't even say sand. He created us from the dust. (laughs) Think of that. Just dust. Whenever, Whenever we're talking about the insignificant things, Scripture, it speaks of nations sometimes as the small dust on the balance. You know, the, the, the balances that they would put the weights in to see if everything weighed out, see how much that weighed. You know, when it had, you wanted to have a, a true and honest weight and balance. Well, he's saying they are, some of the nations sometimes to God is just as the dust of the scales. In other words, you didn't get your feather duster and take care of any of the dust when you were weighing things out because it was that minuscule. It was that insignificant. He said it's just the dust of the scales. Think again, if you can, how insignificant dust is. And yet God used dust to make man. God used dust to make you. He used, if you will, the lowest substance. We might even say, amen, of the earth of that time, the lowest substance dust. But whenever God breathed into man and man became a living soul, he used the lowest substance, but he also used the highest substance. He used the dust of the earth and he used the breath of God. And God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into him and he became a living soul. Amen. So in order to create man, God used the most insignificant and the most significant elements, and it totally altered the status of the dust. Someone say amen. It's so much that later in the book of Proverbs, the writer says that the highest part or the chiefest part of the dust of the world, speaking of mankind, mankind is the highest part of dust. Because it's not just dust. It's dust and God's breath. And that changes everything. Jan Paderewski. That's a good English name. Famous composer, pianist. Was scheduled to perform at a great concert hall in America. It was the evening to be remembered. There were black tuxedos. It was a black tuxedo event. Long evening dresses, a high society type of extravaganza that was taking place. Present in the audience that night was a mother. She had a fidgety nine-year-old boy 
being as a nine-year-old can get. It's tired of waiting, squirming in his seat, could not stay still. His mother was in hopes that her boy, by seeing the, the, the master play, would be encouraged to practice the piano and take it on as an instrument of his own. If he could just hear how beautiful Paderewski plays, perhaps, perhaps he'll play someday. And so the time had come. She turned to walk with her friends. Her son couldn't stay seated any longer. He's beyond waiting. He slipped away from her side. First mistake. Strangely drawn to that ebony concert Grand Steinway piano. Had a little leather tuft stool on the huge stage. He crawled up on the stage. Lights are flooding it. He sat down upon the stool without much notice from the crowd. And he began with his wide eyes staring at the white, the black keys. He placed his small trembling fingers as they were upon the keys right in the right location. And he began to play with all of his might. Chopsticks. <laughs> the crowd was hushed. I don't know if it was because of how well he played it, but nonetheless, hundreds, though, were also frowning their faces in his direction. They were somewhat irritated. They were embarrassed, of course, for whoever's mother this child belonged to. And they began to shout, get that boy away from there. Who would bring a kid to such an event like this? Where's his mother? Somebody stop him. Backstage, the master, Paderewski, overheard the sounds out front. He quickly put together in his mind probably what had happened. He hurried out there, grabbed his coat, rushed toward the stage, and without one word of announcement, he stooped over behind the young boy sitting at the piano. He reached around him on both sides, and he began to improvise the counter melody and to harmonize with it, enhanced his little do-do-do-do chopsticks that was being played on the piano. And as the two of them played together, Paderewski kept whispering in the boy's ear, keep going, don't quit, son keep playing don't stop don't quit and so it is with us we hammer away on our project sometimes by ourselves which seems about as insignificant as a nine-year-old playing chopsticks on a grand piano in a concert hall and about the time we're ready to give up go along here comes the master he leans over and whispers as he puts in the counter melody and says, now just keep going. Don't quit. Keep on. Don't stop. Because he's improvising on our behalf. The right touch at the right moment. It's insignificant to hear anybody play chopsticks. But when you have a master place his hands down there and play it along beside you, it changes everything. Can I tell you today that it is the Christ child that improvised and changed a manger or a place for food, amen, to be a place for majesty. It's just with one touch of the Savior, amen, of with a mud ball against a blind man's eyes, of earthly and heavenly coming together, that the miraculous takes place because he changes everything. Just the right breath at the right moment into Adam, a glorified mud ball on the ground, the lowest form of earth, but it makes him then become the chief part of humanity because the Lord changes everything. Someone say amen. 
For that matter, all of us sitting here this morning, our BC, our before Christ, we were nothing important. We didn't have much to speak about. The world perceived you and I as no better than the next, and we aren't without power, without direction. We were defined, if you will, by our world and by our society. Amen. The only thing that was considered any good for us was a recipient of frustration and grief. That's what owed to them. That's what they deserved. Amen. But whenever we look into the definition of our lives, Webster doesn't define who we are. Webster doesn't define us. Our adversary many times have tried to define us. But I'll tell you this morning, my life has been defined many times before Christ as insignificant. I was defined, Kevin Adams, as weak and powerless. I was traveling a path of destruction. I was traveling a path of despair. I was, if you will, a box or a trough. Wherever and whatever the world put me in, I was a puppet on a string. I was filled with hurt and jealousy and pride and bitterness and shame. But in 1987, as an eight-year-old boy, I went to an altar of prayer and I shed the insignificant and the weak and the powerless because God's Spirit came inside and joined with this insignificance and I came from that they're powerful and strong and tenacious because a baby changes everything. Oh, yes. Someone say amen. What's the difference? Still dust, still clay, still humanity. Yes, but now there was the addition of Christ to this one. Just as the addition of Christ to the manger changed it. And the addition of Christ to the mud ball for the blind man changed it. And Christ added even to man in the beginning his human form changed it. Christ added to your life as it is today can change it. It can redefine you. It can reorientate your destination. You get Christ in your life and you will hear the voice as you do oft times in your little iPhone or Android as you're going somewhere. You make a turn and it's recalculating. <laughs> when you add Christ to your life, you're headed one direction all of a sudden, recalculating. You're headed in a different direction because he changes things in your life. You'll view things differently than you used to view them. You'll want to live life differently than you used to live it because his spirit, his power has the ability to change who you were and what you were. The things you used to run to that used to be your answer and your coping mechanism for problems in life, you won't run there anymore because his spirit changes everything. His power changes everything. You won't have to look down dark alleys. You won't have to look in a syringe. You won't have to look in in illicit relationships. No, 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 no. Because his spirit changes everything. Someone say amen. So much that Paul said all things are passed away. All things become new. Because the baby, the spirit of the Lord changes So I'll tell you what the answer to your transformation is this morning. It's the Lord. It's not a new job. It's not a quote-unquote better mate. 
It's not more money or riches. It's not the new house with the picket fence. No. It's not your dream car. No. The answer to your transformation is a baby placed in a manger. The way to deal with the weakness of sin that we've all been born into after the pattern of Adam, the, 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 the answer to all of that is not for you to get stronger. But you to claim and have ownership of your weakness. But then take that to the Lord and say, hear what it is. I've learned I don't have to stand before you strong. I don't have to stand before you put all together. I don't have to stand before you as though I know how to do all this all alone by myself. No, the answer for your transformation, for the weakness to sin, is for you to come before him broken because he likes to put things back together. You don't have to be dictated by people's opinions and mentalities because sometimes we live our lives by the opinions of what people think about us. Your path, we're going to be chartered by how people say and what people say about you. And if they say something different than what you currently are, you'll somehow mimic whatever their opinion is of you because you're looking for acceptance. But if you, if you, you, you want to live for the Lord, you don't, you don't, you, there's none of that going on. You come before him as you are because he'll take you as you are and he'll turn you into what he desires you to be. Maybe it's not people. Maybe there's a voice. Say, Brother McGee, sometimes in, in the days or in the nights, I just hear things in my mind. Just hear things in my mind. I say, I'll never make anything of myself. That I'll always be a failure. I'll never get these things right that I need to get right in my life. And so you hear all these directives, if you will, of the adversary, all these decrees of the adversary. And he, his voice sometimes is so the loudest, loudest you can't hear any other voices. And you assume that, you know what, I am going to be what I've always been. You need a baby in your manger. You need a baby in your life. You simply need to have Jesus added to your life because it will alter your existence. It'll alter the way that you are defined. If you can stand with me this morning. Every guest that's sitting under the sound of my voice today, if we can, if we can bow our heads this morning as a congregation, every guest that's sitting under the sound of my voice today. I'm not talking about next year. I'm not talking about next week or your next opportunity to come to church, but I'm telling you right here and right now, your life can be renovated, reconstructed, if you will, rebuilt, redefined by just adding Jesus unto your life. You can be forever transformed with just the addition of Jesus in your life. These altars are open today. We're going to have time in the coming weeks. Presents are going to be open. Groupings around with families is going to happen. But there would be no greater thing happen in this season than you to make room for the baby in your life this morning. Make room for Jesus in your life this morning. Because I guarantee you, those of us that are standing here today, there are some elements of our life that we wish would be redefined. There's some elements of our life that we wish would be reconstructed. Amen. 
amen, you got the earthly, but you need the heavenly to come down and bring significance where there may be none found. Bring significance where there may be none known. These altars are open this morning, or perhaps in your pew you want to raise your hand. Say, Pastor McGee, uh, Pastor McGee, I need the Lord in my life. I need that alteration. I need that change. I need that renewing. I need that reconstruction. Help me, help me, help me, Lord. I need, Lord Jesus, your fingerprints upon my life. I don't want to, Lord, leave here the same. I don't want to leave here the same. I want, Lord, to leave from here, Lord, different and altered and changed and renewed. If that's you today, you can raise your hand as heads are bowed all across this place and say, Pastor McGee, I need a renewing. I need a change. Oh, I need significance in my life. It's amazing what a baby can do. It's amazing what the power and the presence of the Almighty God can do in a life that's in need of help. If you need hope, then you need the Lord. If you need peace, then you need the Lord. If you need joy back in your life, then you need the Lord. You need the Lord today. Hallelujah. The Bible says that the Holy Ghost, it's not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. You can find those things in Him. You can find that strength in Him. You can find the courage, if you will, to face day by day because of Him. Let's raise our hands, if we will, all across this place today. God, oh God, oh God, we need your spirit to move upon our lives. We need your spirit to move into our lives. Bring significance, God, to the insignificant. God, bring meaning and value, Lord Jesus, God, that that which is without value, I pray, oh God, today. Oh, Lord, if it's appropriate, just grab your neighbor's hand that's beside you. Let's pray together. Father, I need you today. I need, oh, Lord God, a touch of heaven in my life. I need a touch, Lord, of your majesty, Father, in my life. I pray, oh, God, today I've been defined by society. I've been defined, God, by the adversary. I've allowed, Lord God, my mistakes and my failures to become the defining moments of my life but God I'm asking for a new defining moment God that's your power your presence uh, the addition of you Lord Jesus into my life and my family today Lord I need you I need you Lord make a change in my life make a change in the life of my family, oh God. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, bring me out, God. Bring me out. Call me out, oh, Lord. Set my feet aright, oh, Lord. God, in a new direction, God, bring meaning, God, where there is none, Father, I pray. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Father, we love you. We worship you. We honor you, Lord. What a change you can make, Father, in our lives. What a change, oh Lord, you can make in our lives, God, in our lives, God. 
I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Amen. As we make our way to a close this morning, there is service here tonight at 6. This is our uh, last Sunday service before Christmas. Christmas, of course, being on Wednesday, we will have no service here on Wednesday, but we will be back the following Sunday. One service only in the a.m. It is a fifth Sunday, and so we will be here for that. Amen. So please come back to tonight for service. I probably will not be Christmas-oriented this last service. We're just going to have church, okay? We had church this morning, but I'm just saying I'm not being Christmas-oriented. Amen tonight. Amen. So come back this evening if you have opportunity to do so. Pray for those that are sick, amen, and afflicted. God would heal their bodies, and you're dismissed this morning in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.